Episode number 25. It's time we talked about active shooters and your options to run, hide, or fight. This is the Crime School Radio Show. Where industry experts discuss the business of fighting crime and prevention strategies for making places safe. Leading today's discussion is security expert Chris McGoey. Welcome to Crime School. I've been off the grid for a couple of weeks working with some very stressed out property owners following that recent mass murder in Southern California. As you recall, the incident was in San Bernardino County at the Inland Regional Social Service Training Center on December 2, 2015, where two individuals came into a party that was being held at this center and shot and killed 14 people and seriously wounded 22 others. This type of incident is normally called an active shooter scenario, where someone comes in and indiscriminately starts shooting at people and trying to kill or injure as many as they can. In this case, two individuals came in, fired 65 to 75 rounds in less than four minutes, and fled before the police could respond. This particular incident was unusual in that the motivation was Islamic Jihad. And one of the shooters, Mr. Farouk, worked there. He was a county employee. He was invited to this holiday party. He knew the layout. He knew the people. And he took a year to plan this Islamic Jihad. So what are we to do if we find ourselves in that setting and an individual starts firing? What can you do? What will you do? Well, if you follow my podcast, you know that I'm always talking about planning and anticipating and playing what if. What if you were in that situation? What would you do? The experts in this field break it down into three primary steps. You can either run, hide, or fight. Now, I think that's good advice, but I also think it's a little overly simplistic. So I want to break that down a little bit. In fact, in a series of podcasts in future episodes, I plan to discuss this active shooter scenario and workplace violence in general and talk about all the various scenarios and all the options and the kind of things we should be thinking about as individuals, as employers, as business owners and managers. What can we do to minimize the potential and to make places safe for all of us. My guest on today's show is Jim Kaywood. He's an expert in violence assessment and prevention. He's worked with about 4,500 properties, trying to analyze the behavior and put systems in place to prevent it from occurring in the future. Mr. Kaywood has a long resume, far too long to present here in an audio podcast. So. At the crimeschool.com website slash 25, in the show notes, I will post a summary of his resume, which will highlight his very extensive education, training, and experience in this field. He has multiple college degrees. He's 
focuses on forensic psychology. He's a Ph.D. candidate in psychology. He specializes in risk assessment. He's co-authored a book entitled Violence Risk Assessment. He's written several book chapters. He speaks to the industry. He belongs to all the major associations related to this industry. He's very active in leadership and developing thoughts and ideas about this very complex topic of active shooters and workplace violence. Stay with me for a moment while I get Jim Kaywood on the line, and let's talk about active shooters and the advice to run, hide, and fight. This is the Crime School Radio Show. After a short break, we will introduce today's special guest. Welcome back. I have on the line Jim Kaywood. Welcome to the show, Jim. Well, thank you, Chris. Nice to be here. Active shooters are more and more in the news these days, and certainly recently. We had the situation in San Bernardino. San Bernardino is 40 miles away from my house. Yeah. Now, many a times we watch these things on the news and we say, well, it won't happen to me. It happens someplace else. And mm-hmm. you don't really get the feel for it. But man, it's in my backyard now. Yeah. Well, and as we know, I mean, this is something that's on the increase uh, based on that FBI study on mass murders and the increase in mass murders um, in the last decade. So, there's been 100, yeah. 160 cases, according to the FBI, yeah. right, between 2000 and 2013. Yeah. And well, those are the ones they actually brought out from the media. That isn't all the cases, but it was certainly their sample. Absolutely. There were actually more cases that they didn't uh, note. It wasn't every case, but they certainly chose uh, a lot of the highly publicized ones where information was available, right? And these are shooters. Or they're, not, they're not including knifings or other things? Yeah, these were mass murder incidents, um, and in my review of the study, I didn't see any incidents that were involving non-firearms-related cases. Uh, there have been cases involving knives and swords, but not in the continental United States. Those have been European cases or Asian cases. Speaking um, of Asian cases, I do work in China, and uh, yes. China has a problem with stabbings at even a greater rate than we have shootings in the U.S. They have more stabbing cases. Well, I think that brings up the point that from an active shooter perspective, we all have to recognize we shouldn't be worried about active shooter. We should be worried about active violence, dynamic violence, where any weapon could be used. I mean, you know, technically, I was the defense expert for security on the 101 California shooting in San Francisco. And uh, which was happened in 1993, uh, and this was one of the first times there'd been a significant dynamic act uh, that became very prominent. And afterwards, we learned that you know those what I taught people after that 1993 is I was you know had seen all the tapes and seen the carnage uh, on the film, and it became very real to me. Uh, even having done the work for a number of years before that in violence risk and, and the managing of workplace violence. What I told people at that time was those that run live and those that hide die, right? It's just that simple. And that was true at 101 California. It was certainly true at uh, Columbine. Uh, it was true at Sandy Hook. And, of course, 
it's true in any incident of dynamic violence. And, of course, that's why this new philosophy has come out, or this general philosophy now about run, hide, and fight. I mean, what they're really just saying is something we said back in the mid-'90s, which is, you know, when you take a look at these incidents, you know, running away is the best thing you can do to stay safe. And then if you can't, then you hide. And we'll talk about that in terms of what you really need to do, what hiding means. And then, of course, the last one they've added is fighting. And that's a whole nother kettle of fish. But, yeah, I mean, it's you, you don't want to look at it from I'm running from a firearm. I mean, it could be anything. It could be a box cutter. It could be a uh, samurai sword. It could be, you know, anything. And, of course, guns jam. Swords, not so much. So, actually, Reed Malloy, who was on the opposite side of the 101 California case in terms of expert, and I got into a discussion at one point in that case where he was talking about the, you know, tech nines that were used in that case and the fact that they, you know, they were militarized and that this person, you know, planned and that, you know, what could they have done to stop it? And, and actually, I got into a discussion with him about whether or not you could kill more people within a short period of time with a katana, a Japanese killing sword, than you could a... 9 millimeter Tech-9, and the answer is is that you actually can do more with swords, proven by the samurais and, and their work in the field in the history. So the point is, weapons, it should be any weapon of concern, and you should be on guard. And I mean, the first thing I think people, uh, to answer your question about run, hide, and fight, and what it all means is, the, the first thing we have to understand is that to be able to run at all, to be able to do anything, anyone coming into the workplace, it's going to happen suddenly. And you gotta be aware it's happening. I, I think one of the things that's so fascinating to me about run, hide, and fight is they don't talk about noise canceling headphones. They don't talk about having earbuds in. They don't talk about the fact that we're in cube environments where you try to concentrate on your screen and your back is to the entrance to your cube. I mean, in essence, what we've done is isolated people into cube farms or into offices and tried to limit their noise awareness because, of course, it makes them more productive. The problem is it also makes you less aware of your environment and how to react. I mean, if you've got noise-canceling headphones on and you're listening to music and you're on your computer screen and you're faced away from the door, how the heck are you going to know anything's going on anyway? I literally have to walk into some offices on occasion and after I have to wave paper in front of their eyes between their screen and their face to get their attention. They can't even hear me when I shout at them that something's going on, that I need their attention. Let's focus for a second on that first component. Now, this is a soundbite, run, hide, fight. It's easy yep. for the media to throw out there and for, for training, and I get that. But there's more to it uh, than that. All the, all the things that you just said, 45, 46% of all the active shooters in that FBI study occurred in commercial properties. Yep. So like retail environments. Exactly. So we're not talking about uh, cubicles necessarily. Uh, the, uh, there's people out doing other things, shopping centers, uh, different places. There are. When I get asked about this, the first step I say is situational awareness. If you really are serious about protecting yourself in open space or at your office or other places from a mass shooter, an active shooter incident, or any kind of active violent incident, the fact is you got to be where it's going on. And so you need to take responsibility for the fact that you're going to be more aware of who's around you and you're going to have one, you know, one of your earbuds out and you're going to be listening to what's going on. The second piece is, you know, I talk to people about, Chris, is knowing what a gunshot sounds like. It's not like TV. You know, it's not, if you don't know the difference between a backfire and a gunshot, then you don't know whether or not you should be nervous or not. If you're really serious and you want to take it to the next level in terms of your training, you go to a firing range or near a firing range, step out of your car, 
and listen for about 15 minutes to what rifles sound like, to what handguns sound like. So you know the difference between that and other types of sound. How many times have you heard in an interview or read in a report that they thought it was firecrackers? Exactly. <laughs> and they have no idea. And so if you're serious about this, you know, that this should be a part of the training. I mean, it's fascinating to me and when I see some of these, the regiments that people put together for active shooter. And they, you know, they do all sorts of, you know, building movements and moving people out. And they rarely have a soundtrack that actually is real gunshot in a real way that can be heard. That's the start of the drill. In addition to run, hide, fight, I think we need to add awareness maybe as number one. Being aware of your situation, be aware of those sounds, be aware of uh, people moving into your space. I'll tell you something that I do, and I, I think you'll laugh. I think you'll appreciate it. Because of what we do, I think you'll agree, our paranoia levels are probably higher than the average person. <laughs> Well, you're only paranoid if people really aren't out to get you, Chris. So for well, me, I'm not sure it's paranoia or just caution. <laughs> well, okay. All right. All right. Caution. Uh, when, I, when I go out in public, my wife has gotten used to me after all these years that, like, if I go into a restaurant, I always pick a seat where yeah. my back is kind of to the wall and I can kind of see everyone, see the entrances. Any place I go, she'll notice. She used to laugh at me a little bit, but now she just knows it's just me. Mm -hmm. I'm always... In a, in a safe place. I'm always in a position where I could monitor everything that's going on. You know, I don't particularly like let people walk up on me or get close to me. And uh, mm -hmm. I, pick, I pick people out. I'm in the movie theater and I'll see someone strange come in and I'll elbow my wife and just to point them out that here's a guy that's worth watching for a few minutes. And mm -hmm. that's what I mean by awareness, that you don't have to be a, a raving, paranoid guy to the extent where you're frightened to go outside or you're, you're scared of every shadow, but just being aware long enough to make an assessment and then you can go back down to a normal level and get involved in conversations or whatever. But I think you could do a lot with preparing yourself and being highly observant about your environment and mm -hmm. about conditions that are changing. Before you get to the run scenario, I feel that I'm gonna be in a much better position to run, change my position or hide if I have the ability to get an earlier warning. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's the precursor, right? Yeah. And then the second piece is going to be, you know, when you run, what does that mean? Well, if you're in an office environment, you want to uh, be in a situation where you've actually thought about how do I get out from my desk? How do, wh what's my pathway once I get out? It's kind of like, you know, we all sit in aircraft. I fly all the time, as I'm sure you do now, too. And, and you know, what is the first thing they say? You know, look to see whether there's an exit in front of you or behind you and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's the same thing here. I, I think that, you know, to the degree you keep open channels that, uh, of movement from your cubicle outwards, from your desk outwards, and then have multiple ways to go from that point. Do I go left? Do I go right? Can I go both? And, of course, what you're going to be doing, and this is counterintuitive, when you are aware and you begin to react and you begin to run, and of course run is a term for moving quickly. It doesn't mean you're actually running, running. It could just be that you're moving rapidly away, and that's the key, away from the commotion. You got to have multiple ways to try to do that. And, and that's the other key. The, the natural instinct when you hear something you don't understand is to go investigate it. If in fact you're uncertain, you shouldn't be going to investigate it. You should be moving away from it. Because ultimately, going toward the commotion means you're going toward the risk. Um, and so we have to consciously think, 
I'm going away from the noise. I'm going away from the chaos. And that's going to keep you safe. And what's fascinating, of course, is that's exactly what we saw in the films uh, in Paris, is that the people that ran into the cafeterias and dived under away from the guns are the ones that ended up surviving mostly. What? The froze and the ones that ran in the street that were still in open space got shot. And I think that's the same thing we're gonna, we find in our workplace violence is we find that people run for a distance and then stop and sometimes get hurt. And so this run, hide, fight thing is interesting, but it's actually run, continue to run, but run to get an object or objects between you and the chaos. And then if you run out of spaces to run, that's only when you hide. Yeah, I'm a big fan of barriers. Yes, exactly. The shootings that have occurred historically are, don't always occur where you work. They don't always occur in right. places where you're most familiar. So even if you have your, your office environment, your cubicle, as you mentioned, all your escape routes lined up, you have your plan in place, you actually have to be formulating plans on the fly, don't you, as you're out in the public or, or in retail spaces, you sort of have to be scanning your area and sort of developing these things as you go without being totally paranoid about the process. Well, and you're not being paranoid. I mean, I, I think the key is, is that if we de-escalate that in our minds as we're being paranoid and we just see it as being situationally aware, I think it's a much more acceptable thing. Um, and it be does become something you can do routinely. I mean, as an example, you talked about going into restaurants and sitting with your back more toward a wall. But all you have to do is an additional scan. You know what door you came in on. Yep. Where are the bathrooms? Yep. Because ninety percent of ninety nine percent of the time, the bathrooms are the the entrance to the bathrooms are also going to lead to a door that goes out. It's a fire exit, right? And ninety percent of the time, it's going to be next to the bathrooms. What about the kitchen? And same thing with going into a mall. You go into a mall and you see, I came in this door. You turn basically 180 degrees and take a two-second scan. Is there a door the other way? Is there a door in front of me? And you're just aware that there's multiple places to go. Frankly, from a bathroom perspective, you know, that's never a bad thing to know where the bathroom is. Oh, and especially <laughs> when you get old. Hey, if, if, you well, there you go. if you listen to this show, people hear me rattle on over and over and over about planning, family planning. Yep. Uh, that if you're, because you're not always by yourself, if you're with your family or if you have children, you have to That's have right. a family meeting and you have to discuss these things and it has to become routine. Mm -hmm. Much like in my case, and I'm sure your case, anytime mm -hmm. I'm in a, a new environment, I've scanned the area fully and mm -hmm. uh, I feel comfortable and I've done all those things. So we need to make part of this run, uh, hide, fight thing, this awareness situation that you mm -hmm. need to be planning and you need to teach your children and, and your spouse or whoever family members or, or your group these same type of concepts. So when something does go down, everybody will or is more likely to act in a prescribed way. In a Let's, concerted way. And I, and I think I want to just say this. very: If you do it as a normal routine and a normal discussion point, then it ceases to be something special and unique and odd and weird. It just is a part of your normal interactive discussion. And over time, that seeps in, right? It seeps in and people become more situationally aware as a, an, on, on an unconscious level, which actually can be really helpful. So I, I agree with you. I, I think it's a lifelong journey, uh, not just a one-off based on certain, you know, circumstances.
This is a highly personal situation. When these active shooter situations go off, yes, we're really on our own. I mean, the old, yep. the old saying that uh, when seconds count, law enforcement's only minutes away. Something we have to do ourselves to protect ourselves in those first 5, 10, or 15 minutes. Department of Justice, U.S. Department of Justice actually did a study on uh, the average response time to any address in the continental United States as it pertains to a violence in progress call, and the actual average time was 15 minutes. Wow. And from what you've read in the studies about these shootings, how long they last from start to finish, they're, they're over quicker than that, aren't they? So, well, the one on California shooting went down in 12 minutes. Yeah. He killed himself. Ferry, Eugenio Ferry killed himself long before law enforcement ever even saw him. They found him later in the stairwell, right? So he'd already killed himself. So in terms of moving on from that to hide, I mean, obviously, the, the second piece of that is, you know, if you've got to hide, you can't, you can't escape uh, away from the chaos. You can't get away. And by the way, when you're running, you're running to put objects between the two of you uh, or with the chaos in you is, I guess, the best way to say it. And then what you're also doing is you're getting away. Distance matters. In other words, when you're looking at, you know, 9 millimeter at center body mass, at six feet, uh, you're looking at a deviation of the muzzle of about an, about a quarter of an inch to miss you, miss vital parts, portions of you if you're an average sized person, right? So it doesn't take much deviation to miss. 12 feet obviously is an eighth of an inch, right? So it's half that. So you literally distance matter. So running farther gets you better. Uh, this idea of zigzagging I think is just really silly because you zigzag end up tripping. Um, but distance matters. So objects matter first, then distance matters. Then you want to be careful that you don't get stuck clustering somewhere. So, you know, you don't jump in your car and attempt to drive away when everyone else is doing the same thing and you get jammed up. You just get out of sight, out of mind, and in some cases you just run away and put objects and buildings between you before you stop. So that's the first thing. So running has to be effective. Hiding has to be effective too. And what hiding effective means is this, is you, you really need to put objects there that are bullet resistant versus flimsy. So to the degree that you can get into a closed space in, a, in, in an office environment, you should be looking for those rooms you can use. You should be looking for what we can turn into a safe room. File rooms, internal rooms with no windows, as an example. Solid doors. And by the way, a UL-rated fire door actually can withstand 9mm and 45 rounds. Uh, we actually did a study on that on the 101 California shooting because he was using a uh, cal uh, he was using nine millimeter semi-automatic uh, machine pistols, Tech Nines, and so we actually did some shooting into doors that were at 101 California. We actually did a test, and we found that they would actually stop normally rated fire doors in high rise will actually stop nine millimeter and 45 rounds, even fully jacketed. So good for that. Not necessarily you know high capacity 308 uh, assault weapon rounds. But good enough, better than nothing. So you look for solid doors, you look for you know ways you can barricade those doors, and you're buying yourself time. When you're hiding, you're buying yourself time. We just talked about the 20-minute response time. Well, 20 minutes gets the people there on average. It doesn't mean they're actually going to get to you or anywhere near you, even in the building, right? This is even with these active shooter teams that law enforcement puts together. The fact is, is that they're still going to want to have two men, if, if possible, team up. And before they go into a building, and then they're going to be going to the sound of the noise, but that may not be near you, or more importantly, it may not, they're still going to be careful about getting there, and so you could be another 20 or 30 minutes until they get near you. So you're buying yourself time. 
So the more you can do to barricade yourself if you're going to hide and buy yourself time, the better. And so you need to think that through. Now, in a mall, what does that mean? It means, you know, possibly running in through a store and running into their storage area. I mean, don't be concerned about the fact that, you know, you shouldn't be in an authorized area. I mean, no, you run right through into the stock room. You run into their internal bathroom. You do what you got to do to get yourself that kind of defensible space. Not unreasonable at all. So you need to think differently about your boundaries in open space and what's available to you and what you can do. And I think the, so the hiding thing is about barriers and about time. And have your cell phone. Don't, by the way, don't imagine your cell phone's going to work. I mean, the fact is, is that in every single shooting incident, I don't care if it was San Bernardino or whether or not it was uh, Columbine or whether or not it was Sandy Hook, I mean, once people start lighting it up, uh, Virginia Tech, it overwhelms the system in about two and a half seconds. So very few of you are going to get through. So you don't worry about it. You do the best you can, and you wait it out. Um, and you wait for people to credibly show up. And that what that means is credibly show up is you need someone to slip under. Before you open a barricaded door, you need to have someone identify who they are, and you can't just take their word for it. They need to show some ID. They need to slip something under the door before you open it. And you don't, by the way, stand in front of the door when you ask them to do that. That actually credibly shows that they are who they say they are. If you don't have a people or something else you can rely on to be able to look through that's safe. So you have to have a plan. So the last item on the list is there for a reason because it's the most difficult. If running, hiding, awareness, yeah. everything you tried to do hasn't worked, you're just yep. right in the in the sights, in the line yep. of fire, uh, yep. your only option is to fight if you can. So what, is yep. the, what does the literature say about that? The key with fighting, and again, I'm speaking on, on a couple of different levels. First of all, you know, um, I was a, you know, a national AU collegiate champion in Taekwondo, and I was a law enforcement officer, and you know, I've spent my life uh, you know, training for these types of incidents. So you know, that, that's a one perspective, and, and marshalling that all down is basically this. Hard objects are the best friend you have. In other words, you want to incapacitate the individual, preferably to unconsciousness, if not death, as quickly as you possibly can. If you're going to fight, this isn't about punching them. This is about grabbing them, if you can, and you have to be careful about your weapons, maybe grabbing the hand that the weapon's in and put, putting it away from yourself, but then using that as leverage to slam their head into a major heavy object corner of a hallway, into the ground, into a table, into a chair, and knock them unconscious and crush their head. That's basically the best thing you can do because when they're unconscious, they can't pull the trigger and they can't harm you. And anything less than that is going to be a struggle and you have to be prepared to actually be harmed and then work through it. And one of the best things I teach people to do if they're serious about taking their training to another level is to go to a model mugging training. They have model mugging training for women and men all over the country. And you get a chance to really understand what it feels like to be grabbed and to be hit and you understand what it's like to hit hard and to do it in a debilitating way and to work through pain and that's the and if you're not going to be a martial artist and you're not going to do other things that take years of training then that's the quickest way that you can get an experience of what it's going to like to be hit and still function and then hit back in a way that can be more effective and preserve your life and and you really that's really what you need to do you need to get the person unconscious 
And if it happens, they happen to die in the interim, then they do. Now, there's a topic out there I don't want to address today because it's a whole other show, but it's about uh, carrying handguns and using yeah, that as a weapon. Yeah. And I don't want to go off into that uh, forest okay. right now. But of the 160 incidents in this FBI study, are you aware of any where someone in the, in the, in the, uh, the focus area of the shooting had a weapon? Thinking. It's hard, I, even if there is uh, one. No, I can't, I can't think of one right off the top of my head. I'll put it this way. I can't think of one off the top of my head where the weapon mattered. Yeah. Even if they had a weapon, the weapon mattered. Yeah. In the Cho shooting, which was in that study, he was not killed by the individuals, I don't think. I don't think he was killed by law enforcement. We know that the Columbine kids were not killed by law enforcement. We know that... Um, the only one possibly is actually, no, the one I can think of is, is the Texas shooting, the DOD shooting. He was actually killed by people showing up with weapons at the Army base. One of the things I think is maybe speaking to that point is, is that uh, it seems that these shooters are picking soft targets. They're picking yeah. locations where there's not likely to be weapons. That's right. So that's that, but that's another story for, for another day. So, Jim, let's let's talk about resources. If mm -hmm. somebody wants to learn more, I'm, I'll I'll put a link in the show notes about this model mugging training. I think that's Absolutely. a that's a cool idea. If you've never been hit in the face hard, you, you really need to do it to see what it's like uh, mm -hmm. if you're going to survive it. And 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 hitting a heavy bag. I mean, most people, many people, have never hit a heavy heavy bag before. Mm -hmm. There's some videos out there that are, some are pretty graphic. There's one that uh, L.A. County, Los Angeles County Sheriff put together called Surviving an Active Shooter. It's kind of graphic, but I'll put uh, links to that in the show notes. Hmm. L.A. County Sheriff also has a, a website called uh, activeshooter.lsad.org. I'll put a link to that on the website. Department of Homeland Security has published information on that. There's also another good video that was put together by uh, the city of Houston about active shooters. I'll even put part of that video on the Crime School website, be available for you to, to preview. Jim, uh, we could talk about this subject all day long. There are so many moving parts to it. It's so complicated, but we definitely, as, a, as individuals, as, as families, we need to talk about it we can't rely on a business to protect us necessarily or law enforcement to protect us in the, in the immediate minutes of an active shooting scenario. really comes down to us. So we have to prepare ourselves. We have to think about it. We have to talk about it. We have to prepare ourselves to the extent that we can to increase our odds uh, of survival. Jim, I want to thank you for being a guest on the show. You have a tremendous amount of knowledge and information. I hope you come back uh, again and share with us some more thoughts you have on these type of topics. I'd be happy to. Thank you, Jim. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I try to present a variety of educational topics, but keeping with the theme of making places safe for people and property. The subject matter of Crime School is influenced by your feedback, so I encourage you to tell me about your ideas for future discussion. I'm always looking for a guest. If you have a particular crime or loss prevention expertise, you have a special legal background about liability, you have an interesting crime prevention product to review, 
or if you're a crime victim with a motivating story and outcome to share. I want to talk to you. Now, I'm not very active on social media. I'm old. What could I say? I don't quite get it, but I'm trying to learn. Meanwhile, I appreciate those who are active in social media to share these episodes to attract others who may want to learn and benefit from this content. In fact, if you have an iTunes account and you want to help others find Crime School, please leave us a five-star rating and review. That will really help us be discovered. I invite you to join the Crime School community. We're all like-minded people. You could provide your email address on any web page, any opt-in form on the Crime School website. In this way, you'll receive immediate notification of any new audio or video episodes published, or any special events for that matter. Thank you for participating in Crime School and for doing your part in making places safe. This is the Crime School Radio Show with your host, Chris McGoey. We invite you to comment on today's topic and join the Crime School community. For more information and show notes from this episode, please visit crimeschool.com.